welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Scott Jelinek with me here today. Scott, I really appreciate your time. And if any indication of what we're going to be talking about with today is heading over to his website, go to slowflip.com. Take advantage of Scott's offer of getting his book for free there. But it's slowflip.com. Thanks for your time again, Scott. Thanks for having me, Jack. I've been looking forward to this. So slow flip. I got to start off with that. Why did you name your book Slow Flip and why is your website? I mean, that's that's a bit different than what everybody has been trained to assume that flipping is done in 30 minutes on HGTV. Yeah, so we do something different. This is not conventional flipping. It's not wholesaling. It's not rehabbing houses. What slow flips are is we buy properties. We typically buy lower end properties and we buy them on private money on five-year mortgages and then we sell them what I call super retail on long-term owner financing. We typically sell them on 30-year mortgages. So that's why there couldn't be a slower flip than the way we do them. And I absolutely love the process. We operate more like a bank than we do a real estate investor. We just process payments. We're not landlords. We don't we don't fix toilets or leaky sinks. We just process payments. It's always interesting to hear how you found your way to this type of niche. So it, it almost by necessity. And so I've been doing this for a long time. I started real estate in 1994 and I did everything that everyone taught way back then, which was, you know, like they still teach now the Burr method, you know, refi everything out and then put the money into buying more properties. And I did just that for a while until 2007. And by 2007, I had 84 properties and I got smoked. And as the world collapsed, and I'm not sure if you were investing then, but as the world collapsed, I got smoked. And I realized that the people who were still killing it were the older guys who everything was free and clear. And I was so anti-free and clear back then that, you know, if you asked me in 2004, five and six, I'd have been like, these guys are out of their mind owning everything free and clear. In 2008 and nine, I was like, man, they seem pretty smart now, right? And so I started looking at, at who was doing well and who wasn't. And they were all the free and clear guys. The only challenge is I already had just, my credit was shot now. I already burned through all my money trying to save everything, which didn't work. And so I came up with a hybrid plan, which was I had to borrow private money to be able to buy these. But what's the shortest term I can pay them off to fully amortize to be free and clear, which was five years. And so starting in 2011, I revamped everything to a free and clear model where obviously I couldn't buy them free and clear, but I wanted the shortest possible mortgage to have them paid off. So fast forward, I have 178 of them right now, and just about 90 of them are free and clear. I have 24 more come free and clear this December. And to me, free and clear is everything. And I was so against that. Years ago, I would have smacked myself now for talking about free and clear, but now that I live it, I love it more than anything. And I love the ability to be free and clear now. So correct me if I'm wrong then. It sounds like you're using private money. You're buying these properties. You you have this mortgage with the private lender for, for five years. Correct. But then you're selling it to, to an individual for 30. Your relationship with the private lender ends at the five-year mark. 
And then Correct. you continue another 25 years after the fact. Correct. So we really don't make any money for the first five years. We relatively break even. Sometimes there's maybe 50, 100 bucks left over, but we don't we don't make any money for the first five years. It's not until that 61st payment where the sun comes out and everything changes because now it's free and clear. So you must be buying these at a, when you said a discount, a pretty drastic discount if you're maturing these notes within a five-year period. So we do buy at a discount, much as all real estate investors do. But now we've also started to move outside of my local market. So I live in Hampton Roads in Virginia Beach. And out of my 178 properties, probably 110 of them are here in my local market. But over the last year or so, it's gotten harder and harder to find them in my local market. So we've been stepping outside and I'm in multiple markets now. I I buy a lot in Missouri. I buy in Illinois. And in these markets, there's a lot of them readily available at these price points that we can turn around and buy for $20,000, $30,000. We sell them immediately the same day, same week for $89,000. We don't renovate them because what we're actually selling is the financing. The house comes with it, right? We're selling the financing and the house comes with it. And so we can buy these all over the country now and we're just selling the financing. They fill like immediately because it's so needed. What we're offering is so needed because instead of somebody having to be forced into being a tenant, they get to be a homeowner as well as we sell to a lot of investors who do what I used to do. Anything you can find that you can buy with low money down, usually with three to five grand down and make a spread 100, 200, 300 a month. So they buy them. And so we sell a lot to investors as well. And they do they do my old plan. I stick to the new plan where I'm just, just a bank. With anything like this, it seems like you'd really have to have your ducks in a row and you when it comes to your underwriting. Your your these individuals are coming to you typically distressed, the the buyers, right? They're not able to get a traditional mortgage. What are your underwriting requirements and are there any rules and and the like that you have to stick to 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 keep everything kosher? Yeah. So the underwriting, which you're going to love, and I say that with sarcasm, is we do it on a first come, first serve basis. So we typically get three to five grand down. Now, some markets, it's 10 and 15 grand, depending on the price points. But on on our normal average slow flip, it's three to five grand down. And we do them on a first come, first serve basis. Now, what you do have to keep in mind, again, with Dodd-Frank, we have, we have regulations that we can only own a finance three properties per year per entity, or we can sell an unlimited amount to investors. And so we primarily sell to investors because it works for them and it works for us. However, we do occasionally get homeowners. And the reason we do first come first serve is much like you said with regulation, there's a lot more to it than most people don't realize with screening and determining who your best fit is. And because of that, I've decided I didn't want to be responsible for that. Taking the same way I used to buy. When I started in 1994, and I don't know how long you've been investing, Jack, there was a thing called non-qualifying assumptions. We used to be able to buy a house, it's almost just like a sub two, but with the bank's blessing back then. And there was no credit check. There was no job. There was no anything. It was the first person to do a deal with the seller and give them the down payment. And they would actually put the mortgage and the deed in your name. And so that's how I started. And so that's exactly how I sell now. I always feel like, well, I bought all my properties with no qualifying. Who am I to start qualifying my buyers? And so I do it on a first come, first serve basis. Okay. So uh, can you talk a little bit? That that actually on my side sounds a little scary. You're just the first come that shows up with with the money gets the house, but how do you how do you make sure that without having to go through a whole foreclosure and everything associated with this, can you talk through that process? Like if this yep. isn't doesn't turn out right, 
then what are your steps states in? we invest in, now keep in mind, it's not every state, but in the states we invest in, there is no foreclosure. It's exactly the same as a regular eviction as if they were a tenant. So we don't have to do it. Now, certain states you do have to foreclose, but I don't I invest in landlord friendly states. So you would just evict as if they were a tenant. So it's almost the same as if you had a rental, except that they put more money down, they three to five grand down and typically had to also renovate it and make it their own. So our default rate is significantly lower than when I used to do conventional rentals. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It does happen. And when it happens, it's the same process as if it was a regular eviction. If it was a regular tenant who didn't pay, it'd be the exact same process. Okay. So is it fair to say that, you know, it kind of goes by a number of terms. Is this a contract for deed, land contract? Land contract, agreement for deed, contract for deed. Absolutely. This isn't a lease to rent to own type situation. Correct. I don't, I lost in court once in about 2011 and the judge told me he did not like my lease option and his words, which I remembered always, he said, the benefits and burdens must convey together. The way this is written with my old lease option, he says, you have all the benefits and you're giving them all the burdens. He says, you need to have the benefits and burdens convey together. And I took that to my attorney and my attorney redid all my paperwork to what we use now, which is through an agreement for deed. Okay. So now you you said something different there, an agreement for deed. Is that different from what I've been talking about then regarding a contract for deed? And it's they're all they're just different terms, the same thing. A land contract, contract for deed, agreement for deed, they're all the exact same, same thing. They use different in different states, they call them different things, but it's the exact same thing. Do you have to go through any kind of title work for this to get the resident on title, or is that something separate? No. So when we buy it, obviously we do title work then, but when we sell that we don't do anything because it doesn't get recorded anywhere. It stays in our desk until they pay it off. When they pay it off, then it, that's at that time it gets recorded with the new buyer on title. Do you use a loan servicing agency or anything like that then, or do you have something like that of your own? So that is a great question. And, and the answer is no, we don't right now. I've been asked this a lot recently because right now I manage it all myself, but I just closed on a house in the Bahamas. When my son leaves for college in four years, my plan is to start spending about four months a year there. And so that's something in my head now to start planning for then that I might start moving toward a loan servicing company. But as of now, I've been doing it all on my own. So somebody who's considering doing something like this, you know, uh, you could you kind of give us the case as to why somebody should consider this strategy versus what we're familiar with regarding like the Burr method and what have you? So I have a great case for it, but it's not for everybody. And I mentioned this to you before. Some people hate this and I'll tell you why they hate it. Some people hate it because one, we deal with typically low end properties. And I always hated low end properties when I was a regular landlord because they're the worst. They're the worst. You have the worst tenants. You have the worst turnover. You have the worst repairs. And it's lower dollar amounts. So everything about them for rentals, they're the worst. So people hate them for that. The second reason people hate them is because a lot of people, much like my old self, love their properties. They have ten or twenty or fifty of them, and they love them. They they know every screw in them, and so they they're like, "But I love my house. I don't want. What if he buys it? What if he closes on it? I don't want to lose my houses." So that's another reason somebody would not like it. My reason why I love them is because we are geared more toward freedom and not toward money. And even though it's all for money and we make a lot, I mean, now we're bringing in almost a hundred grand a month from slow flips. But when I started, it was all geared toward freedom. How much do you need to not have to wake up in the morning anymore, to not show up at work? And with slow flips, I can get just about anybody there in five to seven years. And most Every other program, strategy, technique, 
they just can't do it in that kind of timeline. And the reason we can do it so quickly is because of the struggle, because the first five years kind of stinks because you're paying on a mortgage and not making anything where with all the, the burr and the refi and all this, you're making money right now from day one. So it's more attractive and people want to go that route with the, with the slow flip, you don't make any money and that turns people off unless you've already been burned and you're willing to stick it out for five years to be free for the rest of your life. So for those people who are just seeking freedom, you know, and most people's freedom is only 10 grand a month. And I'm like, for 10 grand a month, I can get you there in five years. And, uh, and when I say me, it's not me, but through this process, you can get yourself there in, in five years. That's pretty attractive. And that's why, you know, I have a lot of people that have completely devoted everything to slow flips. My number one guy in my program has 95 already. He's 29 years old. He has 95 of them. And I'm like, it's a whole different ballgame than what I used to do, where I had to deal with banks and I had to deal with refining and I had to deal with all the landlording. Now we just shuffle papers and process payments. And again, starting the 61st month, it's all ours to keep. Okay. You know, this is this is a really interesting strategy because I, I would imagine that you, you mentioned that a lot of people are, may not be a good fit for this because of that five to seven year window, that five year window where you're not going to really be making anything. Do you get any pushback regarding the other aspects of conventional real estate investing? Because I can't imagine you really being able to take advantage of a depreciation schedule or the appreciation or any of those other benefits of traditional. Yeah. So one of the, that's a great question. One of the big things people say that why they don't want to do it is because of appreciation, right? We say, well, you're not going to, you're not going to get that appreciation. Someone else's, but they're wrong. And the reason is we, we, we charge for the appreciation straight up front and we get paid out the appreciation in cash. So rather than have it just build up as equity, we're actually getting it in money. So on a, on a $30,000 house, just to give you real numbers, when we sell them at 89,000, we typically will get 3000 down and 875 a month, 875 a month over 360 payments is $315,000. There's your appreciation. Only it's in cash. You're getting it in cash form as opposed to in, in equity. But yes, you're right. If they were to go up to $500,000, you're still locked in at your $89,000 sale. But we're not doing maintenance. We're not fixing them up. I've had plenty of my people buy them out, you know, either refi or sell. And I'm walking away with 100 grand and they're walking away with 100 grand. But that's a win. Everybody's like, oh, you would have made so much more if you kept it as a rental. I'm like, no, this guy renovated it. This guy took care of it for eight years. He did everything. He deserves to make that money. I want my buyers to be successful. And so we make our money. We make our set amount. Yes, they're making money too. I, I like my lender makes money. I always want it to be a win-win-win. My lender makes money, I make money, and my buyer makes money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what is your turn rate on this? Like, do you have, you know, it's first come first serve? But how often do people actually stick stick it out? So they stick it out a lot. There's probably less than ten percent that turn over, and sometimes it's because people will use our no credit check just to skirt a credit check. So they have money and they'll put money down, but they had no intentions of actually keeping it as their home. And that sometimes will happen once or twice until we get what we call a lifer, somebody who realizes that the opportunity that they have and will never see or hear from that property again. So, But very rarely do we ever actually have to go through with an eviction. Sometimes we'll file and then they'll either start paying when they realize we did file or they'll move out on their own if it wasn't the house for them. But very rarely, I mean, maybe I might do like three in a year. Very rarely will we actually have to do an actual eviction. 
Just to remind everybody, head over to slowflip.com to take advantage of Scott's free book. And if you found some value in what we've been talking about so far today, do us a quick favor and share it with one of your investor friends. So, Scott, I'd be curious as to more of the process associated with this. Could we start at the beginning? I know you say first come, first serve, but I, I would imagine that there is a process. You're the buyer, for lack of a better way, or resident, is going to go through before the paperwork is actually signed. Yeah, so we we give them a, they have a right to inspect. Obviously, we want them to. So they have a right to inspect. Like in my out-of-state markets, they'll actually go into a local attorney's office there to fill out the paperwork at the attorney's office. So we do a self-showing, you know, which I know a lot of people hate. I've been doing it since 2008. We do a self-showing. We don't let them know until they're on the porch that they're going to be self-showing. And we let them go in and see it and do everything themselves. And then if it's the house for them, I gather all their information. I submit it to the attorney who's going to do the paperwork with them. And then they'll schedule an appointment for them to come in. When they bring the money and go to the attorney's office to fill out the papers, they'll leave there with the keys that day. And from the time they signed and paid, they can go open up the door and it's their home. Whether it has to be renovated or move in that day it will depend on the property. But that's it's a pretty quick and easy process. One of the things I'm always telling people, why are we we fill them so quickly? Like in my market here, I'm in Virginia. We fill them in hours. In the Midwest market, sometimes they'll take me two or three weeks to fill them. But people never understand, like, how do you get so much money? How How is it? How, how, how? And I'm always saying it's we sell the financing and the house comes with it. And that's really the big benefit somebody's getting is because they're able to get ours. And they might say, well, there's a cheaper house on the block that yours is 89. That one's only 40 or 50. And my answer is always, well, I would go buy that one then. That's a way better deal. And which they respond, well, that one I got to pay cash for. And then I'm like, well, then I would buy mine. You know, it's I, I'm brutally honest with everybody. And the reason they buy ours is because they can. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm actually on board regarding the self-showing. In fact, I do that with my rental properties. Yeah. Even. So this was something we adopted during COVID and have just kind of stuck with it because it works so well. We bought, you can buy those blink cameras for next to nothing, hotspot, throw them in there just to keep an eye on things. But I've even like when I post my ads, I don't know if this is how you handle it, but when I post my ads, I will give people the address, tell them to go to the back door where they'll find a phone number. If they want to walk through, they can call me. And that's the only time I even talk to them is I make them go to the house, check out the neighborhood. If that's where they want, if they want to pursue anything further from there. So I actually love that. So I do a very similar thing where I tell them they have to walk the property, look in the windows. And then if this looks like the house for you, call me at, and I give them a Google voice number. And then sometimes I'll have people call and I'll say, well, did you look at it? No. Okay. I don't want to talk to them, but I love what you just said. I never thought of that. Leaving the phone number at the actual house. So there's no way to even call with, I love that. That is, I got some good information I'm going to start using right now. I like that a lot. Well, awesome. I'm glad that, (laughs) yeah, it's worked really well for us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to literally want to write it down right now, but I'm on with you. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to use that. I love that. That is great. So you you mentioned that about 10% of these maybe turn over, you end up with them back. What percent of those then are come back to you in in better converse condition versus worse? So it, that's an interesting question. Sometimes we get them completely renovated. Like I'm shocked sometimes. And then sometimes we get them where it looks like somebody was living in it like a homeless person. They didn't do any work. I can tell you worst case scenario. So I had one that 
this person was in it for 59 months. And I only remember because I was like, they made all but one payment. But when I got it back, it was studs. Like they completely gutted it down to studs. And I was a little bit heartbroken when I opened the door and I was like, oh my God, what did they do? And and again, I, so I, I was originally thinking, I'm just going to go ahead and sell this one outright, sell it either a builder or a rehabber will go ahead and take it. But as I always do, I'm there anyway. So I'll, let me stick out my signs when I'm here anyway. And sure enough, this is one of the things probably that got me into selling to investors. Sure enough, there's 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 rehabbers, there's investors, there's landlords that want to do the whole business like we always did, but don't have the hard money lined up or don't have the ability to pay cash. And so they loved it just as much to be able to buy it on a slow flip, do the rehab on their own. Instead of hard money payments, they're making me my $875 payment until it was ready to be sold. So even on my worst case scenario, it still worked out just as profitable for us, worked out profitable for my buyer and everybody, everybody won in the situation. Mm -hmm. Do you have the option where they could refinance you out? I mean, I, I can't Absolutely. imagine you're giving them the best interest rate. I mean, right. So, so and during these last few years, a lot did. And so, yes, they have, you know, as I told you, they have all the benefits and burdens of ownership. So they are allowed to pay it off at any given time. They're allowed to sell it. I have a lot of times where they will just list it, they'll fix it up and they'll list it and sell it. There's so many different scenarios that sometimes people always feel like, Scott, you're leaving money on the table. I'm like, and I always say, I said, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I'll be okay. We're, we make a lot of money doing what we're doing. I'm not trying to get every dollar. I love the fact that they're making money also. You can't be, when everybody's making money around you, everybody's trying to help you to make more money, right? Because they're all making money as well. So yeah, some of my guys sell them and they make really good money, but I didn't do anything. I'm home. I'm, I'm home processing payments. They're the ones who are renovating and meeting contractors and doing all this work. So they deserve to make money. What's your number one source of properties that come to you then when you're that initial acquisition? So I also wholesale. So in my local market, I do a lot of direct mail and I do internet pay-per-click. I also buy in Midwest markets. And in those markets, we don't really even have to do any marketing out there. They're readily available or we buy from property managers. I love talking to property managers that manage those type of properties and then ask them if they have any owners who are going through evictions or just over it. And almost every single time they'll be like, well, I have a couple might be interested and then they'll start a communication. And next thing you know, I'm buying 10 or 15 or one from an owner who's just over it. I have to ask you what you think the current market conditions are and what you, where you think it's going. So that is a great question. And I, I, I couldn't tell you. So right now in my market, it's as hot as ever. We have so low supply. Houses are selling for over ask at ridiculous prices. We have lowest inventory in 29 years. Where do I think it's going? My answer has changed from last year. Last year, I would have bet money 2023 was going to be in the toilet. You know, I really, I spoke about it. And I really believed we're at the crest here and it's going to go down for 2023. The answer I've been giving people now is we're all going to find out the day after it happens. I said, I said, I hear from 20 people, 20 different answers. And I'm like, you know what? Nobody knows because there's also government interference. And so we're all going to find out the day after it happens. And then half the people are going to be like, that's what I said was going to happen. And, you know, we're, we're all going to find out at the same time. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird. The market that I primarily am in, it wasn't until the last maybe even couple weeks here now where things got like soft overnight, like things we're just not seeing the inventory and we're just not seeing the buyers. So the retail sales are soft in your market. 
Yeah, it's starting See, to get to a friend who's out in Arizona, and he told me the same thing out there. But in my market, it's like I, I wholesale also. Like I'll buy a wholesale deal and just list it as is. I mean, and they go like instantly still in my market, which is interesting because yeah. I've heard that from other markets. Yeah, we, but the, in the end, I mean, that's that's been our primary business is the wholesale wholesale yeah. strategy. So, but uh, again, I just want to remind everybody: go over to slowflip.com for more information and take advantage of the art of the slow flip book Scott is offering there. That's very generous, Scott. Can I ask you why you wrote that book and why you give it out? the way? So I have been on a mission. That's a, I've been on a mission to help as many people as possible to set themselves free. And I tried to word that properly because like I was saying before, I can send anybody through. I can't do it. I can't actually do it, but I can lead people toward the path of setting themselves free and I have really, really enjoyed since I've been work. I've been working with people doing this since 2015. The amount of people who and have completely changed their lives, and not like in a little in a little way, but like went from making twenty five thousand dollars a year in the Navy to making twenty five thousand dollars a month, you know, setting themselves free. And and I love it more than anything. I mean, it's it's so interesting to me how just changing your thought process. And, and be it, it doesn't even have to be slow flips. It could be just becoming an investor, becoming a, you know, a wholesaler or, or a normal landlord or whatever. But amazing how much when you can get a grip on someone's thought process and show them another way, show them that there is life out there, there is other, something besides your job and getting a paycheck. I enjoy that more than absolutely anything when I can see the light turn on in someone's head and you actually are involved in setting them free. Yeah, I, it, it's, it is amazing when you are able to help somebody in, in any kind of thing, you know, I, I point to the book, the go-giver, if you ever want to people to have a similar mindset or, or explore that type of what that actually benefits is, is give, 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 you'll be shocked. The amount of, amount of uh, p- things that people will give you in return. I mean, yeah, it's, it's almost they almost can't help it. It's the law of reciprocity, right? And, you, and and I notice it all the time in other situations where I'm like, I know exactly what he did there because he gave me this and now I feel obligated to do something, buy something, help something. And um, and it works all the time. So the more you give in every aspect, you know, in whatever business you're in, it's amazing how much more comes back to you. Well, Scott, this has been a great conversation. Before I let you go, I do have a list of rapid fire questions if you're up for them. Rock and roll. So what lie do real estate investors tell themselves and maybe to others? So what lie? Okay, I'll tell you an interesting one. And I talk about this all the time with people as, as a rehabber anyway, you know, when I, I, I don't rehab anymore, but even as a wholesaler, one of the lies that I will find people always fall into is basing their success or lack of on how many deals did you do last year? I see investors all the time meeting and they'll be like, oh, how long have you been doing this? How many deals did you do last year? It's almost the next question. But the reason I say that's a lie is because it says nothing to whether or not they made any money or profitable. Mm-hmm. And, and they'll have they'll garner this level of um, credibility. But oh, I did 70 deals last year. But then when you actually talk to them, they're trying to borrow money to pay their rent. And I'm like, so why is that a number that we even talk about? How many deals? It should be, how, you know, how much money did you make or did you even make money? And I feel like that's the biggest lie with real estate investors. They're all judged based on number of deals instead of actual dollars generated. Yeah. You know, that kind of reminds me of something that I was thinking of a lot lately, and it kind of resurfaced not too long ago. We would spend a lot of time rehabbing and fixing a house ourselves, doing the full fix and flip situation. And it wasn't until we stopped for a moment and asked ourselves, like, 
you know, looking at their margin where we actually went, you know, would we make the same margin if we just wholetailed this? I know we sell it for less, but our margins have relatively stayed the same. And there's no, there's no flipping as much. So Jack, do you rehab anymore or you don't anymore? Very, we do more lipstick, clean it up, clean it out. So I stopped in 2013. I had that conversation that you just talked about with myself and I stopped all rehabbing in 2013, except for, you're right. It might be a house that I just got to do a little paint and carpet and I can sell it for another 30 grand. So why not? But I wholesale and wholetail and every now and then I'll do a little bit just to bring it up. But it's, you know, more times than not, it's, you know, if you're dealing with a hoarder or something like that, you got to clean it out, but yeah. What book recommendation would you have, or what are you reading right now? So I'll tell you what, the um, the one you just mentioned, I just, I, I the Go-Giver I finished a while ago, but I'm in another Go-Giver now. They have a series of them. It's, it's the mm-hmm. Go-Giver Influencer is the one that I'm actually reading right now. And I, one book I always recommend, which I'm sure you read and it's not new anymore. So everybody probably read, but it really had an impact on me. I believe anyway, was the four hour work week. And the reason I feel it really had an impact on me was because it kind of got my mind out of make as much money as possible and changed it to let's enjoy life as much as possible, as long as we have enough money to support all of that. And so everybody's probably read it by now, but I always still recommend it because it's one of the few books I've read multiple times. Yeah, that that one I actually just reread like um, last month, uh, the revised version. The, yeah. You know, I had originally read the original one and yeah, great book. What is one tool you can't live without, whether it's in your personal life or business? Well, for for the slow flips, it's an amortization calculator. <laughs> we can't beat that. One of the a new tool that I've been enjoying but it's not so much for the real estate business but for my coaching and training business is school. And I don't know if you use that. It's school, S-K-O-O-L. And we've been really, really, really enjoying the way that works because it helps to to keep all of your training stuff, but as well as it has a community, which is set up like Facebook, but not prisoner to Facebook. And and I've really been enjoying school as well. But as far as slow flips, I got to say my whole business is based around an amortization calculator. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting you bring that up because you're talking about being jailed to Facebook. I, I think more and more people need to like pull away from some of those social media companies and, and retain some better control over some if, of this. If they proved anything to us over these last few years was if they don't like what you're saying, you're out. And I'm like, well, you don't yeah. want your whole business to be on a platform where they can just shut you down because they don't agree with you. Well, especially in the business we're in, I yeah. know that some social media, you, it's sometimes hard to even get pay-per-click ads Yep. Uh, to play nicely in some of these platforms because they don't like the the way we're wording something or they see it as get rich quick and then exactly. I don't, you know they don't want to advertise it right if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice what would that be don't believe the hype about debt i i i i was fully on board and i was the biggest I was the biggest cheerleader for, you know, get deep and get deep, 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 deep in debt. And that's the way to be rich. And um, and not to say it's wrong because I have friends that still live that life. But I always say I'm too old to start over again. I'm not starting over again. And so now I've completely flipped to a free and clear mindset. And, and I kind of I, I wish I would have adopted it earlier. Although had I adopted it early, I might not appreciate it as much as I do now, having done it the other way. But I think that's what I would try and convince myself of. Don't don't believe the hype on being in debt. At that age, would you have listened to yourself, though? 
I probably wouldn't have. I, actually, right then, I had older guys telling me in 2004, 5, and 6 about the way they do it, and I would laugh at them when I left. I'd be like, God, if only this guy knew what he was doing, he can make so much more, right? After the bust, I realized, oh, he did know exactly what he was doing. And so, yeah, it took me getting smacked around to actually listen. So I don't know that I would have listened unless I saw a time machine and me coming out of it and believed it was actually me, then maybe I would have believed it. Sure. So you have 60 seconds to give everybody one tip or trick they can implement today to have a direct impact on their business. What would it be? Well, as far as going down the slow flip path, one thing I will tell you is most people, when they hear the price points we buy at, believe well, Scott's out of his mind. My, my market, you can't buy anything for under 300000 200000 Houses don't exist. He's making all this up. I have one negative review on Amazon. It's because he said, I'm making it up. You can't buy houses at these price points. So one thing a person can do today, if they had any interest in even exploring this, is to pick a state, and it doesn't have to be your state. Let's say it's going to be Missouri or, or Indiana or Illinois, and go on Zillow and just type in houses under $50,000, which most people think doesn't even exist. And you're going to be shocked with not just that there's hundreds of them, but when you see the quality of some of them that are $25,000 and $30,000, you are going to be blown away that they even exist, let alone are readily available. Well, Scott, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? No, I think you pretty much covered you covered it all. I you know, one of the big things I'm always trying to pass on to people is to it's a mindset thing on that you don't have to be in debt. And I really believe that true freedom lies with getting out of debt. And I'm not a Dave Ramsey guy, although I do like a lot of what he teaches. But one of the things I hate that he teaches is that save up to buy your your properties because I'm like, well, you're gonna die with two or three properties then. You know, so I do believe in getting in debt. Because you have to. I mean, I got 178 of them now. You can't do that by saving up to get them. However, I do believe in getting in it, but I believe in paying them off just as quick as possible and then reaping the benefits instead of trying to reap the benefits on day one. Sure. Well, Scott, again, this was a great conversation. One more time, head over to slowflip.com. Take advantage of Scott's offer and get that free book. But appreciate it. And I hope you come back again sometime, Scott. Thanks, Jack. Looking forward to it. And thanks for having me on. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.